Bill is a failed skydiver and a bear sometimes he runs. Ben's always traveling, an occasional beach bum. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP Town Hall. Ben created Eye on Off, he's a comic book fanatic. Phil made Pyro CMS, he's probably in a kayak. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP. Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP, Town Hall. Welcome to episode 83 of the PHP Town Hall, getting hit by cars. My name is Matt, and with me is Ben. We took a little bit of a vacation because life is hard, and I got hit by a car. So, we're back. Ben, how's it going? Hey, it's good, man. I uh, have not been hit by a car recently, so I'm feeling pretty spry over here. How are you doing? Good, good, good. It sucked. It was terrible. Actually, it was really funny. Now that I look back on it. Um, so what you been up to? I don't think we can leave it to that. Like, you can give us the rundown. Like, uh, how big was the car? You know, who won the fight? All that. All right. So, man. All right. So, it was. Is this Saturday morning? Yeah, so it was Saturday morning. It was a, uh, um, so the area is right. Like I got so in Nashville, we have a bunch of greenways which are super awesome, but one of them is being torn up because they're doing construction right there. And so, I had already gone out and went to an area of our greenway, which we have like an abandoned air park. So, uh, like back in the day when country music stars would fly into Nashville, instead of flying into like our main airport, they'd fly into this little airport and sneak to the Opry which is kind of cool. But now it's part of the Greenway. We do laps and stuff like that. Like I'd already gone over there. It's 25 miles in feeling. I was actually feeling really good too, which is what really pissed me off. And the, so the Greenway, I guess it was torn up. So I was on the road where I'm usually pretty comfortable riding anyways, but the road I was on, I did not have a stop sign. The lady who was on the cross street did have a stop sign. She decided that it was a suggestion, not a law and ran right through the stop sign at, and was turning to take me on head, like turning to like being the opposite side of the road as me cut way too far in. And I got incredibly lucky because the way she hit me, like it, the car scooped me onto the hood of her car. And then I like Chuck Norris style rolled off the car onto the road and was able to get up and walk away. Um, I, I think I left a badass dent on her hood as a reminder. To like an actual ass shaped dent in her hood or no, because it, so the, my shoulder took the brunt of the impact. So it was, it was probably my, my shoulder is what did it. Um, no, it's so like, I, I laid on the ground for a minute trying to like come to grips with what happened. She got out of the car. She was panicked. I mean, I didn't, Cyclists will probably hate me for this. I let her off the hook. Um, I did not call the cops. We're in Tennessee where COVID is currently number we're number one in the country, I think. So our hospitals are super overwhelmed as it is. And so um I I, I stood up, strung together a series of expletives that would make Phil Sturgeon blush, um, and yelled at her for a solid 15 minutes, and then just told her to go away. They didn't get her name or anything. 
she was like the stereotype where she was like a young white girl. She was driving a Honda Accord from two or three series ago. So I'm going to guess that, you know, she's probably fresh out of college, doesn't have a lot of money. I didn't want to like jack her insurance up or anything. And like I said, I'm fine for the most part. Like nothing really happened. Um, but yeah, so, you know, 8,000 miles riding uh, since I like actually started riding a bike. First time I got hit by a car, it was great. We ended up taking my bike to the bike shop. Cause the only damage my bike suffered was the back tire or the back wheel got bent and they were able to straighten it up at the bike shop. And I was on the phone with my mother. Kieran walked my bike into the shop and they were immediately like, what are you doing with Matt's bike? And she told him the story. And then when I walked in, she was kind of asking questions and they were like, Oh yeah, I've been hit. Another guy was like, I've been hit too. And she was just kind of like, Oh, you're fine. You'll live. So that's basically the story of getting hit by a car. It's, it's interesting. All right. No uh, residual effects a few days later. I mean, so not really. So God, people are going to get really mad at me here. So for one, I was wearing a helmet and you should always wear a helmet when you're riding a bike. However, uh, the next day I went out and did a bike tour and usually on bike tours, I don't wear a helmet. And so Got hit by a car, came home. Fortunately, Kieran had like just gotten her wisdom teeth out, so she still had really good painkillers, so I took a few of them. And then the next day, I went out and did a bike tour, and I was already joking about it. like so no helmet, and you were high. That's what you're saying. Yes. So high. Just out of my mind. And uh, I lined everyone up, and I gave them like a quick little safety speech. I was like, you know, okay, so if you haven't ridden a bike in a while, you know, left hand stops you, right hand, if you push it too hard, the brake, it'll flip you over the the uh the handlebars you know so don't do that kind of thing i was like and also i got hit by a car yesterday so we have about 24 hours of immunity left so and like the horrified looks of some of the people were just was awesome it um but no i mean like I, I was right back out there riding a bike the next day um my shoulder still kind of hurts and that's about it and i kind of expected it to i i'm lucky i'm I've known I've known people who were like I haven't known people but like there's been stories of people who gotten hit and died. I very well could have died. Um so huge, huge like someone was keeping an eye on me. Well, they were keeping an eye on me after I got hit. They were blinking or drinking or something before. Because <laughs> if they were watching over me, they weren't doing a good job of stopping that car from running the stop sign. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Cool, man. Glad you're doing good. Yeah, it's great. How you doing? No, oh, things are good. Uh, let's see. How has it been since we talked? Uh, let's see. Last time we talked was the end of July when we had Ben Ramsey on. Okay. Uh, let's see. So I got a promotion. You know, since nice. Then, and I went to Serbia. So yeah. I was um. So Serbia, that was for what's the PHP Serbia? Is that what the conference is called? Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, it's pretty cool. It was um, so you have to take a COVID test before you your flight. I did like a little research. Surprisingly hard to find detailed information about this, which maybe I should yeah. write more detailed information about my experience to help others. But uh, so you have to get a COVID test. It has to be within forty eight hours to get to Serbia. Uh, Serbia's requirement is a PCR test. Not mm-hmm. a rap like a regular rapid test. Um, so I got a PCR, 
36 hours before my flight because it's the soonest one I could schedule or the, you know, within the window. Results didn't come back in time for the check-in for the flight. Apparently, you can't even check in for the flight until you have your test results. So I waited a while. I got there like three hours early, so I figured it'd be pain in the ass. And then, um, so I'm researching whatever. And there's a rapid PCR place near the Atlanta airport. So I like rushed over there like in my car, got a rapid PCR. Um, just like $300, by the way, which I'm still salty about. <laughs> Yeah, it, it came in 30 minutes before my flight and they checked me in and they were like reluctant to even check me in, but they did. And then I had to run to my gate, like through an international check-in. It was just, it was super stressful, but I got there. Oh, I was okay. the last person aboard, but I made it. You're that guy on the airplane. And you're like, excuse me. Sorry. And everyone else is glaring at you. Like you better sit down, man. Yeah, exactly. That's so good, was it, uh, I mean, as post post, well, we're not post COVID, but that, that's like your first conference in the COVID era, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the travel is probably weirder than the conference, just like wearing a mask the whole flight and just it's kind of a weird thing traveling and during COVID, being around people, all that. Um, so it was great, though. Like the people there, super nice. I've never been to Eastern Europe before. So I got there a few days early. Um, and just like every day, I would just go walk like five miles and go like, Explore, oh, yeah. find some good food, something like that. Um, and then the conference started and hung out with organizers and people from the conference the whole time. Conference was good. They were a little disappointed at the size of it. Um, I guess in past years, it's been like 700 people. This year, I think it was a little over 100 maybe. Uh, I was still pretty impressed. Like It was a very well-run conference. Actually, the week before the conference, all but one of the organizers got COVID. And so there was one organizer running the whole conference. Um, and I, I was just shocked that they pulled off as good of a conference as they did. I mean, as someone who's run a conference, it's hard even with multiple people. So that's impressive that they did that. Yeah, it was cool. Um, thing that stood out was they introduced me to Reikia, which is their uh, like a, a local moonshine, a plum brandy moonshine. And uh, it's oh, pretty man. delicious. They ordered it at dinner, and uh, I don't want to paint it. I was talking to somebody next to me. So I got the shot of Reiki, and I shot it, and I'm talking to the guy. And I look over, and everybody's sipping theirs. And I'm like, oh, is this not a, it's not like a shooting situation? <laughs> so one more, please. I need another one now. <laughs> God, it's awesome. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, and you're going to be at a uh, Longhorn, right? That's the next. That's that's actually going to be the first American conference in person. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Like all the Laracons have been online. Um, there was no sunshine this year. Longhorn kept moving back because they wanted to be in person. And I don't. None of the word camps have been in person. So I think yeah, that's the first PHP based uh, conference. It's going to be in person. Yeah, I will be there. Pretty excited about it. You're there too, right? Yep. I'm giving just a singular talk and then I think running around with my camera for the most part. Oh. Um, doing that kind of thing. I'm uh, I'm doing a workshop and then I think I'm free for the rest of the conference. It would be pretty nice. Are and I'm going to stay through the weekend and go golf somewhere in Austin. So if anyone's listening, wants to go golf at Walcorn, hit me up. I know. I get in the day. I get in Wednesday. I opted for the... um extra day 
because I want to rent a bike and see if I can get hit by a car again. I believe that's when I get to. Uh, workshops are Thursday, right? Yeah. I'm looking at the schedule. Yeah, dude, you're just giving a, a workshop and you're done. Yeah, man. I'll, I'm going to have fun. That's easy. That's, that's legit. Mm-hmm. Mastering or passing the technical interview. I might actually go to a talk or two. I'll wake up in time. I mean, you could. There's some, I mean, there are some really good talks. Like, um, Leveling up your code quality with Joe Claremont. I know he does a lot of stuff around that. That should be really interesting. Um, Jeremy Lindblom is there doing breath serverless and AWS Lambda. That's yeah. I mean that that's kind of like a that's the new hotness right now is serverless and lambdas. And then Sarah Goldman, uh, still banned from Twitter, still in Twitter exile. She's giving one or two talks. I'm not exactly. Sh- I think one talk, and it's basically just all about how PHP is made, which personally, like, I find that interesting. Even though, like, I don't really understand C, I don't totally understand how that code base works. It, like, she just does an awesome job of breaking down the the actual language code and how it all works and kind of, like, gives you, like, that false sense of confidence that, like, yeah, I could totally learn C and do this, too. I'm pretty excited to see Sarah. It's been a while. Uh, she's been banned it's from... It's been a while social media and then she stood us up for that one episode she was supposed to be on that's right she did yeah we might you know any man of the show Sarah a, uh, we might have to do a uh a live at a conference podcast while we're there no i'd like to but if people get covid it's gonna be our fault so i don't seems a little risky make them sign waivers we all sit in our hotel rooms and do it at the same time separate one i mean not the same feel to be fair, you're doing it from Georgia and I'm doing it from Tennessee. It's fair. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to see Taylor's talk. I don't think I've seen Taylor give a talk outside of a Laracon. Um, never that'll be interesting. Taylor. You've never met Taylor? I've never been in the same room as Taylor Otwell. So technically, really? to be fair, you don't know that I'm not Taylor Otwell. Uh, he's very tall. Okay, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I mean... I've like I've uh the only other the only other non Laracon conference I think he's been to is like PSU World back um jeez twenty four I want to say oh in DC I think I might have been yeah there. like I think he would Did he I talk think he was it? just giving a Laravel talk too it wasn't a keynote okay. or anything it was just kind of like a here's Laravel back when they back when PSU World is very much focused on like a WordPress track, a Drupal track, a, a frameworks track, a package track, that kind of thing. All right. Um, and I don't think, I mean, I think I was just getting started back in 2014. Like I really was still like taking all the uh, online courses. Speaking of that whole team treehouse situation, that's, Oh fun. yeah. We, we can that. definitely touch on that. Um, but so like that was right before my time. And then we were supposed to go to Laracon last year when it was in Atlanta at the um, at the aquarium before COVID, oh yeah yeah like turned it all down and finding out like we went to the aquarium over Father's Day weekend and I was like oh hey here's the ballroom where we could have uh, had a conference that would have been really I had cool. some friends that got engaged at the aquarium they like held up a sign inside the tank that's cool like the divers did yeah that's pretty neat that's it was cool different. They get divorced like nine months later. So less cool now in hindsight. Okay, well, that took a turn. 
Okay, we have a. Uh, we brought my mom and my dad, freshly divorced, and my mom's boyfriend to the uh, aquarium for Father's Day. That was cool. Awkward as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so, what talk are you giving there? I'm giving a talk about um, the practice of design first API or design first API practices um, with Open API. Basically, okay. just like instead of like putting your hands on a keyboard and developing an endpoint and being like, oh, we miss this or we miss this or we don't need this, like how you can take your Open API specification document and work on it with both other developers, testers, ops, um, and also the C-suite or the managerial suite and kind of work through common problems, common uh, roadblocks and kind of cut your development time down because you've kind of worked through some of those problems earlier on in the process. And I talk about like the tool chain and tools you can use uh, with mocking and uh, stuff like that. Um, do you mention Stoplight? And if so, does still give you a kickback? I probably will because they are the best tooling and no, it's not going to give you a kickback. That's uh, an opportunity. Like you at least deserve a case of cider. I think they owe me like eight hundred dollars from past podcasts that they haven't paid me for. It's okay. Taylor was this ten thousand dollars man. I am glad you brought that up. <laughs> it wasn't me this time. <laughs> Jared has told me that I'm not allowed to troll Taylor because we uh, we're Laravel partners now and we have to behave ourselves. So Oh I can random like I cannot walk up to Taylor at the conference and be like, money, please. <laughs> Random weird Laravel thing today. So I, I haven't used Laravel in, I don't know, two years or something. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so I'm talking to Lee Tingham. Do you know yep. Lee? Yeah. yeah. All right. It might be Tingham. It's Canadian. Pronounce it Canadian in your head when you think about it. Tingham. Um, so we were talking about uh, LS Lab and Expression Engine and all this, right? And so I'm just like looking yeah. through, like, oh, what happened to these things? What happened to these people? Apparently, Expression Engine is now owned by a company that specializes in Laravel consulting. I was like, oh, that's just it's weird. <laughs> yeah, Laravel's leading the world. I mean, it it kind of almost is, in a way, though. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Ah, it's gotta be good. Progress is usually good. Like, pack, oh, Packet Tide owns and develops Expression Engine. Interesting. Now they I've funny. never used it before. I've heard about it. I mean, it looks nice. It looks decent. Uh, it was very complex back in the day, and it looks like it hasn't had many commits since. So, probably horrible now would be my guess. I mean, it's a CMS. It can't be any worse than WordPress. Still runs on coding there. Wow. And they say that dead can't re-rise. Look at it. So, coding that is a framework that just won't die. <laughs> Probably on the Coding Nighter 2 as well. Who knows? Are they still developing Coding Nighter? Yes, uh, Coding Nighter 4. The project's been through some hurdles. So, uh, BCIT, the British Columbia Institute of Technology, took up the project after Ill's Lab dumped it or sold it, whatever happened there. Um, that was run by John Perry. And it's done some work. There's a project lead that's running. Uh, version 4, but kind of in the process, Jump Harry passed away, and um, so that left the project in kind of the weird spot. Um, the main developer did step up to take over the project, and is now leading that, and there's still development happening on version 4, but it, it you know, 
from my perspective, it slowed down the project a bit, but now it's kind of back on track. I mean, that, I mean, I never met, met him, but you know, I mean, sorry to hear that he passed away, but it is good that someone has kind of picked up. I mean, I, I think more diversity in the framework space isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, I know there was a, a point where it was like framework madness through the PHP ecosystem, but it, it is nice to kind of have competing ideas and options available. Like, I like Laravel. Laravel is a fine framework. I use it for my day job. I get paid to use it, but yeah, I mean, it's fun to use Symphony every once in a while, too, just to have a different point of view on how things are done, just to keep it fresh and keep your, you know, skills up to date. Yeah, totally. I've been writing a lot of Python lately, and it's been really nice. Um, it's nice that it's, I don't want to say less structured than PHP, but maybe less dog- dogmatic than PHP about yeah. kind of class structures and file pathing and uh, I complain all the time. Modern PHP feels more like Java than old school PHP most of the time. And Python felt a little more like old school PHP, which is kind of refreshing. Interesting. Um, I would say I haven't written Python in like 10 years. So maybe I'm just writing really bad Python. It's very possible. Um, also, I'm writing Python 3 now, so 2.7 or whatever it was I wrote last. And so I cannot get my brain to comprehend that a print command needs parentheses now because it didn't used to. It used to just oh. like call print as a top order function. But yeah, that's uh, my main problem with it, so that's a pretty low priority problem, I would say. Yeah, that's a, I mean, for all the problems you could have with Python, I mean, that, that is pretty low on the scale. Although, I do remember, I went to a Python meetup here one day, and they had, in their sh- their print function, they had, like, the F parentheses, I guess, F, or yeah, I think F was just, like, a string function. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a typo. So like I called it out. I was like, is that a typo? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, well. It's a weird syntax too, Rex. It's not actually like a it function. Is, it's, it's like, like F and then string. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what? That it seems like a typo, but no, it's, it's a full-blown uh, string syntax. And I was just like, okay. It's interesting. But I mean, I, I remember PHP, like there was always like that debate between like, does PHP want to move towards JavaScript or Java? Mm-hmm. It feels like the Java side clearly has won almost. Yeah, I wouldn't even say, like, from the language side at one, the language is still pretty flexible, but it's the convention side of a one, right? Though, I mean, the language is still as flexible as you want it to be. You don't have to use uh, type, like, even if you're using PHP 8, you don't have to use the um, type properties. You don't have to use, um, what's it, the new match syntax or anything like that. You don't have to use the JIT. You don't have to use any of those kind of Java-y things, but they are there if you want them. And it seems like it's definitely pushing the language towards a more Java-ish, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, paradigm. Yeah, yeah, and no, that's a very, very fair point. And it's, I don't know, it's almost hard for me to verbalize kind of my feelings about it, because in a way, I love it, right? Like, I really do love a lot of the short, shorter syntax we have now, a lot of the, yeah. like the jet is pretty cool. Opcache was game changing, right? Like there's yeah. a lot of great innovations, namespaces I couldn't live without anymore, yeah. right? But um, I don't know. It, it does feel like we're taking a step backwards when it takes 20 files to do something pretty simple that could be done in like 10 lines of code. I mean, and that is a great point. And I know that's been a, a, a sticking point for the longest time. I mean, 
almost to rehash it, the visual debt debate of five years ago, four years ago, whatever that was, whenever yeah. we debated about. I mean, at first it was like, you know, you had your, your properties above the constructor and you had to have the dock walk kind of initializing each type the property was. And then um, you could type the properties in a constructor and then you had to assign the properties to the constructor values. And I mean, if you like, if you have like a factory class or even just a service class, that could be 20 lines of code, 30 lines of code. Mm-hmm. And in your IDE, which, you know, when you run it on a server, that's meaningless. But when you're on like just a monitor, like if you're on like a 13 inch MacBook, that's that's space. That's real estate mm-hmm. to keep scrolling back and forth on too. Um, so I, I do like that, like type property solves that in a way because you don't have to yeah. do the doc blocks anymore. Um, and I, I, I like the doc. I like type properties. I like type typing uh, type safety just in general because I know there's an added check on the code that I write and I can kind of successfully deploy on a Friday knowing that if I break something, so I get caught earlier. But, you know, I mean, like you said, like sometimes just down and dirty passing inputs into a function and kind of YOLOing it, you know, there is a certain kind of beauty to that. Yeah, I, I guess what I do appreciate from PHP is that you can do both, right? Like you, we do have pretty flexible duct typing if you don't want to use strict types, yeah. uh, but then you say, and also use strict types. I think what we don't do a lot of, and maybe it's just the projects I've been a part of, is both, right? Like most projects are all one or the other. The projects that tend to be all one or the other to me are kind of like the worst of both worlds. I think yeah. it is worth like actually thinking through like, what do I need here? And then just making a smart decision about it, not like being dogmatic, but either choice. Mm-hmm. So if you're writing like a script to do something kind of quick and dirty, maybe you don't need full strict typing on that. But if you're writing a library to be consumed by others, you probably do need strict typing on that. I mean, it's not like kind of like what I do. Like, so right now I have to ingest a massive CSV for an e-commerce project and it has relationship. Like I have to parse all the relationships and stuff like that. And at first it's just get the import working, figure it, like figure out all the fields, map them, move on with my life. After I get it working, then I'll start going back and be like, okay, this block can be its own function over here. This block can be moved out here. We can start typing this and this and know it's going to be okay. So it's it's like a, almost like a mix of the best of both worlds, like the down and dirty PHP, just get it working, see it go from CSV file to database. We're good. Okay. Now how can we add the checks around? And it's, it's almost like, you know, some people almost want to be in one corner or the other, like, writing the, the import with full type safety out of the gate only slows you down. But then at the same time, writing the CSV import with no type safety, no checking, nothing whatsoever allows for someone to upload a CSV that might be broken and just utterly destroy your entire application. Yeah, that, that's pretty close to the process I usually follow. You should do it pretty rough. Um, kind of feel about TDD too. I never do TDD. Yeah. I always like at least mock out pretty basic ideas of the app first because I, I, it's hard for me to reason about what I want to do until I start doing the thing. Yeah. Then once I have it somewhat kind of brokenly working, then I start working on tests and types and really cleaning it up kind of from both sides there. So, yeah, I, I like that approach. I mean, TDD was... like I, I remember when I learned testing, it was kind of like... 
we never did full TDD. It was always kind of TDD and application programming in the same time. Like we would test up to a certain point till we got to the point where like, well, we're not totally sure what this app needs to do at this very moment. So we go to the app code, follow the paths, figure out, okay, this, this is the right path. This is what we need to do. Then we would go back, write the tests. And then we'd, we would try and write some more tests to kind of keep pushing us forward until we hit the next roadblock. And we we're like, okay, well, not totally sure where it's supposed to go at this moment. So let's step back and look at the app code again. So it's almost like TDD hybrid in a way, I guess, is what you could best call it. Yeah. So uh, how's your Treehouse subscription going? And I don't remember the last time I paid for it. It, it, it It's sad to watch that happen because... Is, and so, I guess first off, is Treehouse one of the sites you used when you were learning yeah, things Treehouse in the past? Treehouse was the site I used. Really? Treehouse is why I started doing PHP. So, back in the day, this is before they really developed their uh, program. A friend of mine who did ops-type work for a company, he, was, he knew I was trying to learn how to code. And he was just like, hey, like I heard about Team Treehouse. It seems like a cool thing. Check it out. And I was like, okay, cool. I think it was like 25 bucks a month or something like that. And I was just like, like I watched a few videos. It's like, yeah, this seems worth it. Bye. And, uh, they had a, they had a whole course from HTML to PHP of building a, an e-commerce store and a shopping cart. And it was like, you started with the HTML, added the CSS, added the JavaScript. And then they're like the very, like after that, the first video is like, okay, we're going to install MAMP. And I was like, Okay, I don't know what MAMP is. Let's do it. And it was and then it was like we're gonna start with PHP, and I was like, I don't even know what PHP is. Let's just keep on going. And uh, built a cart in PHP, and it was kind of cool. It was kind of fun. Like that's that's where I kind of learned like first bits of PHP. Um, and I kept going. Like I remember I watched like uh, Chris Harches's testing videos. Phil had a course on there for a while about PSRs. I remember when he like went to Florida or wherever to record that, and it was pretty, pretty just wild. But you know, Phil is in the yeah. studio, maybe yeah. sober, doing <laughs> professional <laughs> recording. Funny thing about Phil, half of my bike is Phil's old bike parts, so I'm pretty sure I got hit by a car because Phil's bike parts are magnets for cars. That completely checks out. Yeah, I'm just surprised it took this long. Up. I shouldn't joke about. But no, so I mean like it was um like with Treehouse, like it was it was such a cool resource back in the day. Like they seemed like such a cool place. And I remember the first uh PHP Cascadia I gave a talk and Elena picked me up from the airport, and this is when she was still a Treehouse employee. And I were, completely uh, forgot that's where she worked. Yeah. Yeah, she worked there for a while. And actually she's quiet. I don't, I don't even know what she's up to these days. I'm curious her thoughts. We should get her on this podcast. Go back to our spicy roots. Yeah. Um, but so like, I remember she picked me and a bunch of other people off from the airport that day and took us to the, the treehouse offices in Portland. And of course, I was just like, oh, damn, this is, like, this is super cool. Like, thanks to y'all. Like, thanks partly to y'all. I have a career in this whole thing because like all the videos that y'all created, um, and it was, it was so cool being in the offices, like in in that area. And so, st- starting to see the inklings of what transpired over the past couple of days with like the not only the layoffs, but like the no severance, the months notice. Um, it's all fucked up. 
really. Like, there, there's no better way to say it. Like, especially because if you think about it, like so many people, like, like I mean, I'm sure everyone's probably at this point heard of the whole uh, what's it called, the Great Re- Resignation. Uh, it's kind of going on right now. People are like resigning from different jobs, resigning from jobs that suck, tr- changing careers because they can, because remote work is now a bigger option. Um, like you would think that they they would be at the forefront of the whole reskilling of America in the world, to be fair, uh, into a career that is clearly in demand, clearly a step up from a lot of jobs in terms of pay, benefits, culture, and um, types of projects you'd be working on, and yet somehow they are in last place? Yes, I think it's been... I think the hardest part for me, I can almost understand, like, layoffs happen, companies go through hard times, there's no good way to handle that for the most part, right? There's no way that leaves people happy. Um, No. It sucks for everyone involved. A lot of times a big layoff is the best way, rather than just, like, slowly losing people over time. so that I, you know, it happens. The even the like month notice and no severance, it's not great, but it's not horrible, right? Like it's more than two weeks, and most companies give. Um, it's a good market for people in tech, you know. So it's probably okay. I, I think the biggest problem to me is just been the lack of transparency, right? But like there's been no open discussions about it. There's been no like that I've seen. No blog post talking about the problem. No helping those people get their next job, you know, which I would totally expect Ryan to be out there doing, like really advocating for those people, trying to help them land the next gig, talking openly about what's happening in the company, all that. You know, all I've seen is pretty much quiet, a couple posts here and there, and then a lot of blocking the old employees on Twitter anytime they reference the company. And that's I saw just that very disappointing. That, like- the the blocking of the employees on Twitter, I think, is probably the most egregious thing because, I mean, yeah, it might have been Ryan's idea to start this company. And obviously, he was the leader who took it from nothing to something. But, I mean, without Elena um, and a few other people that, like, I know a few other people who work there. I don't want to just blindly name names, but. We both know Elena, and Elena's big in our community, so I'm comfortable naming her. But, like, without those people, Treehouse wouldn't be a thing. Like, Elena was at the forefront of their PHP curriculum. Like, how many people in our community can point to her as a source of knowledge and a source of um, inspiration because of what she did? And the fact that he's just going around and blocking people on Twitter instead of having that hard conversation, instead of posting uh, any sort of you know, even just like typing out a note in his phone and posting the image to Twitter and being like, hey, oh, sorry, shit sucks. And apparently he has a boat on order that he's waiting on in Connecticut because he moved to Connecticut from Portland. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, I, like just the transparency would have been good. Obviously, waiting on a boat while you're laying people off with no severance kind of is a bad look. You can get around that if you're open and you're honest about what's going on. And I, I, I feel like that's really where companies fall down really often. Yeah. But I mean, I guess there's the other side of that. If your reasons suck and you're like, you know, base camp, then maybe not being transparent is a good idea because they didn't help themselves. <laughs> and yet somehow they're still in business. 
Yeah. My biggest theory there is just customers either don't care or no, right? Like StreamYard. We're using StreamYard to stream this. I have no idea about the internal politics at StreamYard or their staffing decisions. <laughs> you know, like it's a tool I, I mean, use I don't know, to but get like a job they, done. They haven't like made it public either. You know, like I, I'm pretty sure if if StreamYard came out and was like some hot take I don't agree with, keep it as vague as possible. <laughs> you know, like and like like we we pretty much see eye to eye on what seems like most things. Like I, I think if they came out with a hot take that we were both like, oh man, that's terrible. We'd probably move it. Oh, totally. Yeah, if there's, you know, but yeah, because we don't know. I don't know. I guess like Basecamp. It's. I don't know how easy it is to move all of your stuff off of Basecamp, though. You know, if you have like, yeah, it's, true. it's a very like data. unique to way of managing projects. I don't think there's another yeah. like system that easily fit to that. But that's another topic too. Who who the fuck likes Basecamp? I've tried it several times, and it is like the worst workflow. Especially as an engineer that I've ever seen. I think a better topic is what constitutes a good project management tool at this point. Like Trello, maybe? You don't really hear anyone dunk on Trello. Everyone hates Jira. We had a meeting uh, today. It's me and another engineer. We're working on a project with another engineer and another team. And uh, we were talking about, you know, we need to plan our next steps. And we're both like, I'm not using Jira. Like, that's what we use as a company. Like, we're not doing this in Jira. We just wrote a Google Doc with, like, a bunch of bullet points. We use something called Hive. And I think that we've we've all revolted enough that they're like, okay, Hive is not working, so we're going to find something else. And I'm like, can we just use GitHub? Like, they have a Kanban board. It's good enough. GitHub isn't great either. Um, unless they updated it, they're, like, sharing data between projects was kind of rough last time I tried it. So, yeah, it's almost like you need to consume their API and crunch the data in between different projects to see like your actual. I did actually see a tool that did that. It was like a UI on top of GitHub issues, which was interesting. It was just a Kanban board top of issues. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Like we use Jira on this new project because that's what the company we're working with uses, and uh, it's not terrible. Like we're we're using. Only as an issue tracker, though. We're not doing, like, the whole burndown rate or anything. like. It's just purely a, here's an issue, here's a swim lanes, you know, which, in that respect, it's not terrible. Yeah, they all suck. Like, I can't, like, I'm thinking back on my career. I've never been happy with any of them, really. Yeah, I'm trying, like, what else have we, what else have I used? Like, we use Jira at OpenSky. Um... I don't remember what we used at Bernard. I think at Tandem we used Trello. Maybe? I don't know. I'm sure if Jacques listens to this, he'll text me and tell me what we actually used. I'm actually Googling, like, I want to say it was Asana that I used before that I actually liked. No, it was Fogbucks that I used. I actually liked using. Fogbucks? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I think it was Joel Spolsky's company used to run this, and then they sold it. Didn't they also, like, uh, I think Matt's internet connection just dropped, or either he mistaked the leave studio button for the mute button. Oh, he's back. Did you get the button wrong, Matt? No, the trackpad. <laughs> it's the mouse's fault, Shane. <laughs> no, I was trying to like, I was trying to scroll back to Safari, and I was gonna Google because I thought, uh, didn't his company end up getting sold to whoever owns Trello? Maybe, yeah. 
I don't know. So I think he went all in on Stack Overflow, right? Isn't he doing that full time now? Well, even if he is, that's owned by Microsoft these days. Is that true? I think so. I don't think so. I'm gonna. I'm pretty say sure you're wrong. Stack Overflow. We're, we're both frantically googling in the midst of the podcast. This is great listening experience right here. Oh, oh. no! The owner is Process, wherever the Process. fuck that is. It was created by Jeff Outlet and Joel Sprilsky. Good old Stack Overflow. Yeah, so uh, Fogbugs was cool. Like I actually enjoyed it as a user. Uh, it was kind of funny as an engineer though, because Sprilsky was a like a, a thought leader in the space early on, right? right? And tons of blog posts and all that. One of his blog posts was about, like, don't reinvent the wheel, blah, blah, blah. But then Fogbugs was actually written on, like, a proprietary programming language that they invented in the house. <laughs> it's like, ah. Oh. So no one listens to their advice, I think. I, you know, I guess my, my question would be, I mean, this is a huge open-ended topic. This is, like, from an engineering standpoint, what is the ideal ideal project management tool. Because like every time you bring it up, whether you're at a conference, a meetup, just on Twitter, it doesn't really matter. You mention project management, everyone's like, I've tried this tool and it sucks. I hate this tool. Um, haven't tried this tool, but we we don't think it would work. There's never like a this is a tool you need to try in that regard. It's always tools that suck or tools we haven't tried but we think will suck. And it never seems to ha- there. There does not seem to be a tool that engineers think are good for project management. I think part of the problem is that project management in general isn't a great fit for engineering in the ways we think about it. Right? Like, right. Think about project management is like a list of tasks to do by a deadline. That's just not a good fit for software engineering in general. Software engineering is like. There's research tasks and there's trying things out and there's PSCs and at some point there's actually a production ready product and none of those things follow like an exact path or an exact deadline. Um, yeah. So I guess if you did it, I would want like a completely different UI for management and product and all that versus engineers. And the engineering UI would probably be similar to what you see at GitHub, where it's pretty simple, just issues. Yeah. Um, but then I think everyone else would want a more complex UI. Well, I mean, it, it's funny you mention that because so the meeting I had right before this, like, I gave my update and so the thing I'm working on, like I mentioned, is this massive CSV, and I mean to use like the Laravel terms, like we have our one model and then multiple relationships that we have to relate all the data back to, and we're gonna have multiple. I mean, this, this is gonna end up being like forty thousand rows in one table with all the child relationships, so it's gonna be massive. And I only have a subset of data to work with. And so I'm giving my update and I'm just like, well, you know, I got the, the, I got the CSV of data, test data right now. So I'm hoping that by the end of tomorrow, uh, 24 hours from the update, I will have a better idea of like how far along I actually am. Like I imagine that some of it will be super easy and I imagine some will be super hard. And we kept talking, we kept talking and finally like 50 minutes into the meeting, the CEO was like, okay, Let's we like I need a can can we just have like a a a stat like where is everybody and what can we expect from everyone? He's like, and I know things are gonna come up, but like like where like looking at the spreadsheet, like where is the project in that regard? And, and I think like that brings up a good point where it's like from an engineering point of view and a project management, like 
I think I will have this thing done in 24 hours-ish. But I know something's going to come up. But I can't quantify that to people who are not engineers because they don't totally understand the fact that, like, like a, a brick wall is going to appear at hour 11, as I expect it to. Yeah, that's always the trouble, right? Because there's going to be things that you think will take five hours that take one. There's going to be things you think take one that take 400, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's exactly. like, back when I was a manager, I used to always just buffer most people's estimates a certain amount. I would kind of have an idea of how underestimated they usually were. But there is no person that actually overestimated, including myself, right? So, like, generally, than myself, I would 3x whatever the estimate was before I told any stakeholders because of that. Like you just don't know where the hurdles are. I mean, I think the rule I always added when I was asked for direct estimates was like, whatever it is times it by three. So if I thought it was three hours, I would say nine hours with the, like basically because it's like, yeah, like you said, you know, something that I think is going to take three hours, I'm probably going to run into a roadblock and I need to add the appropriate amount of time to get around that and it's but you know like the the people who are technically paying my salary who want this this feature in production to make more money don't want to accept that in a certain capacity like they don't want to accept that like it's going to take longer than what they think it's going to take because that to them sounds like more of a money sink than anything else it's yeah i mean like the whole concept of software estimation is a podcast into itself and it's it's uh it sucks. Like, I, I can't think of a better word. Yeah, that's it. actually it like sucks. really not a bad idea for a, a podcast. That is something throughout my career. I guess when I was early in my career, I would try to give exact estimates of what I thought it would take. And that made management happy. But oftentimes it would go over. And so what I would do instead is probably just work a lot to try to still meet that estimate. And like, it was an estimate. It wasn't like a set in stone thing. Why am I working my ass off to try to meet this thing that was just a guess for me? But I felt that pressure because it's an estimate I provided. So, like, as I progressed from my career, I did get better at just, like, no, that was the estimate, right? Like, I buffered it, whatever. There's some room there, but you're not going to meet all of them. That's just how it works. Like, you get some early, you get some late. Um, so, I, I kind of wish there was more mentorship, I guess, in our industry over that. Because I think that does lead to a lot of burnout and just a lot of overtime. Um, because we feel this kind of pressure from management and product or whoever to meet a certain deadline or a certain estimate. And that's just not how it works. That's not how our work goes. No, and I remember when I was at Open Sky, I remember um, the first things they told me was like, you know, we estimate like the, the management layer, like the engineering management layer estimated times that they thought was appropriate for a ticket. Um, but then they told me like, you know, if you blow past that, that's not on you. That's on us because we misestimated it. Or you might have found a, a, a roadblock or some sort of side issue that affects it that we did not think of. And we need to do better to account for that. And even knowing that still burned me out because I would see 12 as the estimate, 12 hours and be like, I gotta, I've gotta hit that time versus knowing that like, you know, it's, it's totally cool to not blow past it. Like I can't just spend. 144 hours on a 12 hour ticket or something like that but there was like it was it was okay to go over on it because they knew that things were going to happen um and yet and still in my head i was like no no no, gotta hit it gotta do it come in early stay late work at home 
do that. You know, it's 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 that word estimate. Like we hear estimate, and we think super rough guess that may or may not be remotely correct, and yet other people hear estimate and think that is set in stone, and we will burn people at the stake if it is not met. And I think that's 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 really where the that's really where everything falls apart. I can sort of get it, right? If I pay someone to do a repair on my house and their estimate is $1,000 and then they give me a bill for $10,000, I'm pretty upset, right? But also right. it does go back to like, if $200 into the work, they come back and say, hey, I found this thing. It looks like it's going to be this much bigger. Here's the new estimate. I'm not really going to be mad then. So I, I think there is kind of the culture we can bring there where as soon as there is a problem, we bring it up and re-advise our estimates. I think, and I, I 100% agree with you on that one. Um, because yeah, like if, I mean, funny enough, like, um, when I was getting Phil's parts put on my bike, I took it to the bike shop and they started putting it on and then realized that I needed a different part. And they called me funny enough. I was on another bike, so I couldn't even answer, but they were just like, Hey, um, your crank that you have, you actually need to. It doesn't match your your frame. You need to buy another one. I was like, okay, cool. Like it's another hundred dollars, which, like, I didn't want to buy another crank, but whatever, fine. But they told me early enough in the process that it was it was fine, it was acceptable. And same thing, like if I was having someone do work on my car, on my house, you know, and quote it for a thousand, they come back and say, hey, actually, you know, I found this problem. I think the problem there though is general, like in in your example. And I'm thinking of an example back when I lived with my parents, they were having uh, built-in bookcases built into the walls. And I could totally see the guy coming back to my mom and being like, hey, you know, like I'm $200 into this project and the wiring does not fit the outlets that you picked, something like that. We need to buy the right outlets, rewire it, whatever. Um, you can see that. That's a tangible thing. Like you can show my my mom that show how it doesn't work with the current setup and even with her not knowing anything about electrical engineering she knows that yeah that's a problem whereas like if i go to a client and i'm like hey the database is totally messed up the relationships are not set up the right way that's going to cause an extra six hours of work that's a little i don't want to sound demeaning to non-technical people but that is a little almost abstract in that way and a little, a little bit hard for certain uh, non-technical, non-engineering uh, staff members to kind of grasp. I think that's probably where the ultimate issue comes from, is we're afraid to tell them these things because they may or may not understand the significance of the issue we've run into. Yeah, and it does get harder, too, because like especially as the problems get bigger and more ambiguous, it's not quite as linear as that, right? Because it's like... yeah. I just spent an hour on what I think is a typo, but I don't see the fucking typo. Like, I think this code should work and this code doesn't work. And I can give you an <laughs> estimate because I might figure it out in the next minute or it might take me the rest of the night. You know, who, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Those semicolons are really hard to find sometimes or lack of semicolons. If it's, if it's JavaScript, it really could be either way. That language sucks and it fucking sucks. And so, but I mean, but that's the thing is it's like, I've lost so many hours on typos or I've lost hours because I was looking at the prod site and changing the staging site 
and just did not realize I was looking at the broad site instead of the staging site. There's also the like, you know, this is scientific, but it's also some art mixed in. And so it's a hard concept to communicate. Sometimes I'm just not in the right headspace to be super productive. And I'm just not going to get much done, right? Like I could throw four hours at a problem right now and it's just not going to make much progress. It's going to make maybe an hour of progress. Yeah. Uh, but if I'm in a different headspace the next day, I could throw one hour at something and make eight hours of progress. And yeah. it's, you don't know what headspace you're going to be in at any given time. And that can be ruined in a second. If you get a Slack that says, Hey, can you jump on this meeting? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, oh, I've lost hours of work. Because I couldn't visualize something that I like, I could not visualize the structure of the app the way I wanted to as I was trying to code it. And I, I've sat there for hours. I've whiteboarded it. I've I've thrown away many pieces of paper. I hop on a bike in twenty minutes, and I'm like, I know exactly what it is. You know, it, it, it's hard to quantify that type of thing too, because like. It's almost like if you're trying to force something, it's never going to turn out the way you want it to. But it's like when you're not trying to think about it, you're not trying to, to like drill into something and you're just relaxed and not at your computer. I can solve all the problems in the world. Like I, I totally get the headspace thing. That's one of the nicest things actually about like working from home during COVID for me has been there's not a ton to do. And so it's like, uh, or there's not a lot of commitments, I guess. It's a better way to say it. So yeah. if I'm not in a good headspace, I'm sure I want something. I can just like go fuck off for 30 minutes, go walk the dog or walk around or yeah. whatever, go make a coffee, and then just come back to it when I'm in a better headspace. And suddenly the problem's easier. And also, like, I probably don't have the commitment that night, so I can just work a little later to keep going while I'm in the right headspace. And it, it all evens out, right? No, I mean, there's been so many times where I've I've been messaged like, hey, this this is an issue. Can you look into it? And I start looking into it and I have I wrap my head around it and like basically like spin myself out trying to solve the problem to where then I just I grab the leash from my dog and we take a lap around the apartment complex and I come back and I'm just like, yeah, no, solved it. I know exactly what it is. You know, that quick 20 minute walk around the our building completely changed how I saw whatever it was I was trying to fix. I mean, and that that is the cool thing. I hate to say the cool thing of COVID, but yeah, like not having commitments, you know, like I can stay up as late as I want to, which is very rarely past the hour of nine. It's fantastic. But like, you know, I can also get up at five o'clock in the morning and be like, I don't have anything to do tonight. So I can start working because I just feel like it. Yeah. And then around noon, take a couple hours to do errands or whatever I need to spend a few hours later. But like that break is rejuvenating and gives you the, the kind of the refreshment that you need. Um, and I hope we can keep that post whenever we hit post COVID. Which we never. Yeah, I hope so. I'm sure it's also a privileged thing, right? Like, I don't have kids. Um, my wife is in you know, nursing school, so she's busy. So there's just not a lot of other things for me to do. I can kind of make my own schedule. Yeah, I'm sure if we had kids or something, it'd be 
the same struggle, but it's, um, I don't know. It, it's nice to be able to take advantage of something during COVID and take advantage of that flexibility. No, uh, yeah, I, I tend to think of it as like work-life integration more than work-life balance. Cause I, that's a good way to put it. I think. Yeah. Like if I want to take off an hour in the middle of the day, that's fine. But if I want to work till eight or jump on right now, you know, we started the podcast at what eight something at night for me. Uh, that's yeah. fine too. You know? No, I mean, like, I've ordered Lego sets and got them, you know, the mail. And it's like, cool, I really want to build it now. So I can just kind of take a break. But also, you know, I mean, like, that's also like a way to recharge and kind of give your brain almost a, it's not like giving your brain a break. It's just, it's, it's giving your brain kind of time to, to reformulate the idea that you're struggling with. And it's like, so I'll be like, I'll sit at my desk building a Lego set that arrived in the mail. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I know exactly how to fix that problem. And I, as soon as I'm done with the Lego set, I, you know, or even like sometimes I'll, I'll set the Lego set aside and start at least pseudo coding what I think the answer is and then come back to it. And it's, it's that privilege of, yeah, I, we don't have kids either. We have a dog and a cat. You know, I can, like you said, I can, I can jump on at five o'clock in the morning if I want to. I can sleep in a little bit later if I want to. I can stay on later if I want to. You know, I mean, like there is like the whole trying to protect my personal time in a way. Like I don't want work to integrate so deeply that like at eight o'clock at night, I can't read a book on the couch without slack going off. But you know, sometimes eight o'clock at night is the perfect time to be working when no one else is on and I can do the work I need to do without having to worry about people asking me to review pull requests or look at issues or things like that too. It's it's the integration of work right now that allows that flexibility that I hope we can maintain. Yeah, I agree. And I think we lose that if you end up working like a straight nine hours. And then yeah. also coming back on at eight o'clock to work a couple hours at night, right? And then it's it's no longer integration; it's just work taking over. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I mean, like, well, like, I'll stop to during the day to like make bread. Like, I'll get the 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 starter Fucking going. Millennial. You don't know. I don't have any plants though, so I don't know if I'm really a millennial. I don't have any plants to keep alive. I all of our plants are fake actually. That's a trick. They look real. Shit's so fake. I don't have to water them. And the cat can eat them and she won't die. Great. We actually we so we bought this thing from Target. It's like a plastic tub. And like you put it on your patio or your deck. And it's supposed to be like a little garden for apartments that like you can't have like ground and everything. We didn't keep any of it alive. We had tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, basil, cilantro, and something else, and nothing survived. I'm the best <laughs> millennial. I'm, I'm so good. Are Are you and the cat getting along now? Oh, the cat loves me. She uh, said, "I'll take the dog out in the morning." And she goes back to bed, but then I'll I'll just come like I'll make coffee and come sit at the desk, and then um. Usually what I do in the morning, like to like to really get going, is I'll play some chess. Just like 
Either you haven't played chess with me in a while, Matthew. I don't. Where, where, what, what platform are you on? We played before. We just haven't played in a while. You usually beat me. I know. That's why we don't play anymore. I enjoy it. I don't know why oh, you don't okay, enjoy cool. it. As long as you enjoy it. Whatever. <laughs> no one cares about my feelings. I get hit by a car and all of a sudden, worthless. No. Uh, no, I, I'll just I'll throw on chess.com. I'll just throw like a random 10 minute game and play like three or four of them, really. Just because like, I find that it, it, it um it kind of it warms my brain up if that makes sense you know like the coffee's good it's great it gets me going but like I, I'm fine losing chess matches but like incre- like from the first one to the last one like I obviously get a little bit better in just my thinking so then I'm like okay I can look at code without like sitting there like the Homer Homer Simpson like drool coming out of my mouth like oh what's going on kind of thing um. And then, like, the cat would jump on my desk, and so I'll put chess on my big monitor, and I'll find a YouTube video of birds she really likes. And she'll, like, I'll just put the birds over, over on the monitor, and then she'll, uh, she'll just sit there and watch them. She'll, like, paw at my screen, try and catch birds. So she doesn't bring the claws out, then you're fine, right? She brings the murder mittens out all the damn time. <laughs> on your screen? So, yeah, on my screen. Dude. I can't even take like fingertips on my screens. I'm like, oh, I don't do it. She, I mean, fortunately, like her her murder mittens are not as oily as my hands, so there's no smudges on the screen. Um, but no, like she'll come, she'll flop like between like the space in between like me and my keyboard, and I'm like, okay, well, that's cool, but also like you need to move so I can type. Um, so like I'll bring, she has like a little tree thing. And so my desk is right by the two windows in the office. So, uh, I get all the sun in the morning, which is great. But like, I'll, I'll raise the blinds just enough for the sun to hit her. So she'll sit right by me. Um, I think she likes me. She doesn't kill me yet. I find it interesting that you coach this and, uh, her thoughts of you instead of your thoughts of her. Uh, you've definitely acclimated to being a cat servant. I've posted a few pictures on Instagram where I'm like, hashtag cat bad. If for nothing else, I want the audience, because I turned my Instagram account to a grow Instagram account, whatever that means. What does that mean? I get more stats about... Okay. My Do I follow tags. you on Instagram? I mostly use Instagram for golf videos. I... I use it for cycling photos at this point, mostly. Um, Did I tell you my Instagram horror story? No. Not going to. <laughs> so, you know, my, my parents are very uh, religious and conservative and all that. And uh, I'm not always any of those things. <laughs> so I try to keep them in a nice little bubble. <laughs> so they're not allowed on most of my social media, right? Like I make sure they're segmented. I had not used Instagram forever. My buddy talked me into signing up. He's like, hey, man, you're like in this golf chat. You've been in for a year and you just had not signed into Instagram. There's all these cool golf videos, whatever. I'm like, okay. The sign up was like Friday night. Was, you know, bored. <laughs> so I signed back in, set up my account. By the time I woke up in the morning, my parents, who knew they had a fucking Instagram, had like liked every single thing on my Instagram. <laughs> 
And I was like, oh no, this is my heart. It just went through and blocked them and everything. So what's really funny is I follow my dad on Instagram. I don't follow my mom. And yet, the good thing about Instagram is it doesn't really, if you look at someone's profile, it doesn't tell you if they follow you or not. Oh, okay. They follow you back. Right. So, I don't think she's realized it yet. Or I don't think she, I don't really know how much she uses Instagram. Um, but I'm waiting for that day. I'm waiting for it. I mean, there's like, there's some people in the community that I follow on Instagram and they follow me back. But for the most part, I just, I use it for, like, I got really big into photography over the past couple of years and it's been a wonderful hobby away from the computer outside of like when I import the photos and edit them. But like, it's kind of like golf. Like it gets you outside. It's active. Like you got to walk around for it. Like, especially like for cycling, like, you know, you can stay in the same spot, but you're only going to get the same angle. You got to move around. And so, yeah, like, I mean, that's all I use Instagram for. And then like every so often I'll post a picture of the cat with like the cat dad Instagram hashtag. Nice. About it. All right. So we've rambled now for about an hour and a 10 minutes or so. Uh, our one viewer has given up on us. So uh, I think we're good now. Our what? We had one live viewer for a while, then they eventually gave up and signed off. Is that Taylor Otwell? I'm not sure we were pitching Laravel. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was your mom. Awesome. Awesome. Great. We <laughs> talked about Instagram. She was like, it's a little shit. <laughs> Signed off. She's like, my ears are burning. We, uh, I hate to say it, like, I'll be in Atlanta next weekend, but it's going to be like one of those quick in and out type. Yeah, I like how you, you've come to visit me all these times. You've come to Atlanta right here by me. It's nice. All right. To be fair, you're nowhere near Atlanta. I know. It's an hour and a half, Matt. That's a lot. That is a lot. Not a lot. I've driven all the way to Nashville. Yeah? I mean... Shit. (laughs) Don't tell this to Phil. He'll make me bike to that. I mean, you wouldn't want to do that to the environment. So, I have looked it up. There is a... the easiest the easiest route goes through Alabama down to the Silver Comet Trail, which so it starts in Georgia just north of Atlanta and closest to Marietta um, goes about 70 miles to the border then about 30 miles into Alabama. Not exactly sure which major city it's by, but the idea would be basically follow 65 all the way down, pick up the Silver Comet, take it all the way in. And the Silver Comet's protected. It's all Greenway. So I don't have to worry about cars or anything like that. Um, The whole riding a bike in Alabama thing sounds... I think it'd be fine. Like I don't think I'd run into any issues, but it would be mostly... like I'd have to really digital diligently plan it. The other route would be going down to Chattanooga and then down. But I would have to go 
over the mountains, and that would be a lot of work. Um, it's going to be a little cold up there, too, soon. The dream? Are you kidding? I love it. Yeah? We, we got, like, four, like, we got, like, three feet of snow back in January, February, whenever that was. And I was, like, a, I was just, I was giddy. I was so happy. It was so much fun. Yeah. Um, I don't blame you. I, I hate being hot. Uh, That's funny. I went to Serbia, and it's, like, 60 Fahrenheit, and it's been 90 to 100 here, right? So I'm, like, I'm wearing shorts. I'm loving my life. I'm wearing flip-flops, and everyone there is in, like, sweaters and coats, and they're all, like, are you okay? Do you need a coat? I'm, like, no, nah, man, I'm loving this. This is great. <laughs> It's like that uh, when I went to Midwest PHP back in 2019. Yeah, 2019. I showed up in flip flops and a hoodie for a snowstorm, and they're like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "No, this is great. I'm I'm alive." I remember uh, Jason McCreary was there, and he he had like a, a big old like Patagonia jacket, and like I had my hoodie, like my soft, thin OSMI hoodie. I was like, nope, this is great. This feels like awesome. I will say, I mean, like the cool thing about COVID, I will say, like, so many people are not traveling. It's like it does feel like the summers have been a little bit milder, at least here. I don't know what it's been like down there. Like I remember Georgia summers just suck in general, but Yeah, it's it's been rough. Not as bad as some I remember, but it's you know, it hit it hit a hundred a few times. Yeah. I mean Either way, you're an hour and a half away from the city, which puts you like another 40 minutes away from where I end up in Alpharetta anyways. I just, I hear a lot of excuses. Okay, fine. You know what? Next Friday, I'll be in town. You can come meet my dad. That's not what I want. I want you to drive down to Columbus. Busy that day. (laughs) Fuck you, Matt. We have to. I mean, we're driving from Nashville to Atlanta on Friday. What are you doing Saturday? It's my mom's birthday. That's the whole reason we're going. You don't want to go to that. That's the whole point. We're going. <laughs> you don't even follow her on Instagram. Look, man, I don't make the rules. Okay, we got invited. Apparently, they're talking about marriage. Got a lot to talk about with my therapist next week. Can't wait. I got hit by a car. Mom's going to get married. Other things happen. It's great. So right. throw me a I'll, I'll give you like I'll give you like a one month delay and then we'll talk about this again. Or or just come up to Alpharetta. All right. Uh, well, you can do to make up for it. Come out to the, uh, the golf trip we're planning in December. David Stanley and be our photographer. Boom. I threw that idea out and I've heard nothing about it. There's your invite right there. I need details. Give me details. I just bought a new lens. Like, I can totally. Boom. Yeah, we'll talk offline so people don't show up. <laughs> It'd be, you know, like, I always joke, like, if I ever get married, like, my half of the aisle is going to look like a PHP conference. It's totally well. Yeah. Friends are. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you. Ben, Ramsey, Phil. I don't know how we're going to fill over here. We might have to just do Phil on like the Sheldon bot from uh, that shitty ass TV show, Brain <laughs> Theory. Just yeah. put him on iPad. It's a good idea. 
That's such a great idea. Yeah. We should just make the fill bot. I don't know. But yeah, all right. So, uh, yeah, I think that wraps up catching up after our August vacation. Um, we will figure out the next episode after that. Yeah, if anyone has ideas for guests, do let us know. Uh, we're happy to do more of these, but we need help in planning because we're bad at that. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, like a lot of our guests have been Laravel related lately, and we don't get money from that. So if your company wants to sponsor us, feel free to let us know. Otherwise, definitely hit us up uh, on Twitter, either at PHP Down Hall or either one of our two Twitters to let us know of a guest. Um, we'd love to talk to more of the PHP community and just see what's going on. All right, man. It was great catching up. Yeah, man. I'll talk to you later. See you.